We are back. And in this hour, we are talking about America striking workers. And we are celebrating that the WGA has ended its five-month strike. Joining me in this hour is Kirk Moore. He is a WGA writer for American Crime, 13 Reasons Why, and for Life. Welcome back to the show, Kirk, and congratulations on ending or being a part of the WGA that has now ended its five-month strike. First, I want to ask you, what does it feel like to know that the strike is finally over? Um, It feels really, <laughs> it feels really good. I mean, you know, a lot of uh, most of us, or well, all of us for the most part have been out of work for the last five months, Um, which is not the greatest thing um considering how expensive everything is um right now so uh, you know some of us had it easier or a little bit better than others um but definitely happy that it is it is over well you know there's a lot of talk uh, you know and whenever there's a strike occurred at first the thinking was all oh, this will be short uh and then we saw some comments that were made by some of the studio heads and then their thinking was this could drag on even through January. Right. Uh, there were some folks who believed that it wouldn't end until then. What do you think was the uh, catalyst for studio heads to come to the table and start to really negotiate in earnest with the writers? Well, I think, you know, one thing is I, I don't think that they thought we would actually last this long, mm. you know? So I don't think that they thought that the solidarity and the unity was going to sort of be the thing that sort of kept this thing going because that's not really what was ha what happened in the past. And mm -hmm. so I think that they really underestimated um, the solidarity within the union and how much we actually really did want this to change. And so even though I think some of the the I think a lot of people in the guild felt that this would go on longer. And many of us had sort of tried to do our best to prepare for this, um, you know, because we knew that we had to withhold in order to get what we actually deserve. You know what I mean? So to help us understand, one of the issues I remember when you were here before we talked about was artificial intelligence. Big issue for writers, you know, using chat GPT and other artificial intelligence platforms to basically produce the content that right. writers have been producing, uh, you know, since the beginning of time. Where did the, uh, the, you know, where is that issue in terms of the new three-year contract? Yeah. So, you know, right now, like studios are, they aren't required to like, they can't like, we are considered writers. And so AI is not considered a writer or a human person. So they cannot be credited for any sort of screenplay that is written. So the credit has to go to the writer. And so that was one of the protections we wanted because we didn't want studios to, for example, have AI create like a very bad first draft and then hire us to come in and do the second draft and then not give us credit. You know what I'm saying? And, and to fix it, but not to give us credit. And so now, you know, with the protections that we do have, like they're not able to exploit AI, I think in the way that they actually, you know, wanted to in, in the beginning, and so now we have the protections as writers to say that AI cannot undermine anything we do in the creative process. Let me ask you this, Kirk. One thing I, I often think about. So 
if you write a, a script, say for American Crime, and they decide they're going to do another season, can they take the scripts that you have written, they paid you for, put them through some AI platform, and now create a derivative work from your original you know, script that you wrote, can they do that without paying you for that derivative work or crediting you for they that? Actually have, they actually now have to come to the WGA and there's oversight to make sure that there's no sort of manipulation or exploitation in any way that could affect whether it's our pay, our credit, or anything like that. And so now they have to come to us. We actually can sue them. Um, so there are protections, you know, to at least for the next three years, because technology is ever evolving, you know, and so things are going to change and they're going to find other ways to be able to use this and to manipulate the language. And so we just have to make sure that we stay on top of it. But as of right now, the way it's it's sort of laid out is that AI cannot be sort of a head writer or a showrunner or anything like that to where they would be the ones credited um, for the episode, for an episode or for a feature film. So is your understanding that any derivative work that AI could create, they have to come back to you, WGA, get your permission, work out some kind of deal? You know, it always puzzled me because you think about the music industry. So if I write a song and you now want to use that song, even, you know, some of the lyrics to put in a new song, it's right. already established that you have to come to me, the license holder, the writer of that song, uh, to get my permission in order to now use that hook or whatever in your new song. So it seemed like the writer should be given that exact same, uh, you know, credit and opportunity. So I wrote this. Now, if you want to use it in another project, come to me and I'll give you the rights to use it, but you got to pay me for those rights. Right. Right. That's a great analogy too. That's, um, that's, that's really good. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other issues. The other issues were the writers' rooms. Those rooms that were one time, you know, maybe 10, 20 writers have been reduced over time. Where did that end up? Is there anything in this new contract that provides for protections so that the studios don't just go and get rid of half the writers? Yeah. So like right now, and it's it's a little bit, it's kind of like inside baseball. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it. But I mean, basically now we do have protections and and also like minimums, at least we should say we have minimums at what, depending on how many episodes that your show is, there's a minimum of of um, of how many how, how many staff can be in the room. So if it's six or fewer episodes, you can have you have three writer producers and then three sort of mid level to lower level writers. So six if it's mm -hmm. fewer, if it's um, seven to 12, the minimum number of writers in the room is five and mm -hmm. the minimum number of writer producers is three. So okay. seven to 12, you can have about eight. And then right. there is the, the minimum in the writer's room is six if it's 13 or uh, 13 or more. Okay, um, so they set levels. So as you have more episodes, you have to have more writers on those for those shows that are longer episodes. Right, exactly. So like if like a best way to explain it is like for a 13 episode um for a 13 episode show and I'm sorry I kind of misspoke. It's a minimum of 6 writers and then 3 of those writers have to be writer producers. So then under then there is you can hire depending on how you sort of 
depending on what you do, you can you have to hire at least a minimum of three other writers. But depending on how your budget is, you can probably hire more. Or depending on if you hire a staff writer versus a story editor, you can sort of work it out in budgetary wise how many more you can add. But there is a minimum of six um, for 13 plus, a minimum of five for seven to 12, and a minimum of three from six um, and or less. You were, which, okay. Which sort of puts the onus really on the showrunners um, which is all which we also got several protections as as showrunners because showrunners were not considered writers mm. under our um original under our old contract. And so we were technically just considered producers, even though we did both. But now yeah. showrunners are considered writers and they oh, they're now allowed to be members of the WGA. Well, we 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 are we are we've always been members of the WGA. But what was happening is that, like I said, it's a little inside baseball. But what was happening is, is that there were certain companies, certain studios, who would hire a producer or a director to be the showrunner on set after right. the person who had. But typically, that's the job of the actual creator or writer of the show. Now there's protections to say. The writer and creator of the show is the showrunner. They will be running this thing moving forward. And yeah. now they can't like replace us because there, like I said, there were certain networks who were who were trying to replace us with directors and trying to replace us with sort of like executives and producers. Right. Okay. And so what do you think this means for the actors? Because you guys can write away, you can write scripts, you can write movies, but if you don't have anyone to perform, you know, those scripts. Uh, TV shows won't come back and we won't see new movies. So what do you think you guys, you guys being the WGA settling, uh, coming up with this compromise deal, what does this mean for SAG-AFTRA? Well, I think that, you know, hopefully it, it you know, sort of lays down the groundwork of where they can go and where they can, you know, what they can achieve in the negotiations. I mean, I, you know, having sort of been watching this and, you know, discussing this since the beginning, I was, I can definitely say, and I even said it online, I was really, I was shocked and very present, pleasantly surprised by um, what we gained. It was, it was definitely beyond my expectations. And so I, I feel that again, you know, I don't think that the studios felt that the actors or the writers would be striking for this mm -hmm. long. I think they really did underestimate that. And now they're realizing, damn, like, you know, we have to pay. We have right. to. They're losing money. The longer that the writers are on strike, the longer that the actors are on strike, no new products, right. no new episodes, no new content. So right. they had to fill it in their own pocketbooks. They had to fill right. that financial pinch. Uh, for them to start to realize that they had to make some concessions. Right. What about pay? You know, we heard a lot of folks online during the last five months talking about having to sell homes and moving out of state, changing careers, getting out of the Hollywood business altogether, uh, because uh, even if the strike ended, I, I saw some people online saying that what they were earning still would not be sufficient. Right to live in an expensive place like Los Angeles or New York. Uh, were there concessions made in terms of how much writers are paid? Yes, um, there were there were several concessions. I mean, our minimums for, um, well, first, um, initially, I'll, I'll go back a little. Initially, staff writers, which would 
you typically that they usually their first time on the show, maybe their second time. But staff writers were paid a, a sort of a weekly salary, but they were not paid to write their scripts. Um, so they would write that script and they would not get paid for it. Now, all staff writers get paid to write their scripts. Um, OK, so, so they have ownership interest in that script now. They're not exactly. just a paid employee. Okay. They're not just a paid employee. They actually now have ownership of their script. They actually can get script um, script and screen credit um, for their work now. Um, the minimums for sort of like weekly base pay um, went up pretty significantly. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> um, so that's really nice, especially across streaming. Um, we got some sort of, um, we now have stat-based um, residuals that we're going to get um, that the the major streamers have to sort of share privately, but we at least know what those things are. So we understand like what we are getting paid and how much we're getting paid. We also are getting bonuses um, for um, how how the, the for the the data and it shows like how many people are watching it. So for example, if 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 twenty percent or more people watch. A specific show within 90 days we get like a, almost like a ten thousand i think like a ten thousand dollar bonus um features get i think a forty thousand dollar bonus so you know there are bonuses going around and then we get like a 76 percent increase in international um residuals so you know we came up um on a in a lot of those areas and i'm simplifying a lot but um well yeah. i can tell you're excited and I, I the excitement that you are exhibiting i have uh seen and heard from other members of the wga i mean this deal this three-year contract uh is thought to be very very favorable uh to writers which is shocking i think to a lot of us because you remember the studio heads came out fighting they came out talking big trash <laughs> you know and they were like yeah. Not giving up anything. And obviously they didn't give away the bank. These guys are still going to make, and I say guys, because most of them are men, are going to still make a ton of money. Executives right. will make money. Uh, the business will continue to thrive, even though there are cutbacks. And, you know, there, there's some changes in the way the in entertainment industry is operating because of streamers. Uh, obviously the whole business model has changed, but I'm excited and, ex you know, ecstatic that uh, you are able to reach a deal. And I think it's going to be, uh, as you said, a, a model for SAG-AFTRA uh, right. and other workers across the country because we're looking at workers in Michigan and now workers in uh, Nevada who are also you know, really demanding that they be paid a living wage as well. And so we have, I, I think, the writers to strike for being bold and being courageous and stepping out there uh, and saying that you all deserved uh, better pay for the work that you did. So congratulations again. Thank you so much for Thank joining. Uh, can't so wait much. to see some of your new episodes and some of the new projects that you're going to have coming down uh, the you. pipeline now that this uh, strike is over. When we come forward, we're going to continue this conversation about striking workers across America. Again, what's driving these strikes and are workers getting uh, what they want, like the WGA workers? Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, we're talking about America's striking workers. What's driving workers to take to the picket line, pick up bullhorns and demand higher pay and better wages from their employers. We see the WGA just ended its five-month strike uh, involving 11,500 writers 
And as they are ending their strike, the strike involving auto workers in Michigan, uh, no signs in sight that that strike is coming to an end anytime soon. And today, news that Las Vegas casino workers may also uh, go out on strike. Uh, joining me uh, for this segment is Mike Williams. He's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Welcome, Mike. Uh, just big picture here. What's going on? Earlier in the year, UPS was threatening a, a strike. We know that hotel workers have been striking in California and other places. Uh, is there something happening in the economy that's driving America's workers to take to the picket lines? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ariva. I really appreciate it. I think what's happening is that working people are finally standing up and saying, you know, you told us we were uh, we were necessary, that we were, um, you know, for the economy to function during COVID. And so now it's time to make it so that our livelihoods are supported by that. So that, you know, if you want your packages delivered, uh, you should make sure that the people delivering them have a decent wage. If you want to enjoy a hotel stay, that the people doing the work there have health care and a decent retirement. And so this is people saying, you know, you know, enough is enough. Like, profits just going to shareholders is not okay. It's time for working people to actually get what, what they deserve. They've, they've earned it. And so we've seen that with the Teamsters, you know, bringing the, uh, UPS to the brink of a strike and winning a major uh, contract. We just saw it with uh, the WGA, with the writers uh, getting a fantastic contract. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, the culinary workers just voted to authorize them to strike something like 95, 96% of the workers there. It's huge. And it's something that I think, you know, has been bubbling to the surface, especially coming out of COVID, being told that they, they were necessary, they were essential. And then finally saying, you know, if we're essential, we should be treated like we're essential. Yeah. So the auto workers in particular, uh, we saw Joe Biden in Michigan yesterday walking the picket line or at least out on the picket line with workers. And then Donald Trump, former D President Donald Trump, headed to Michigan today rather than being at the GOP debate. And Donald Trump has this mixed relationship with unions. Uh, you know, he was an employer uh, where he had union contractors in his uh, union contract workers in his casinos. And he tried to position himself as a pro-union president. But yet once he was elected in, in office, he was probably one of the most anti-union presidents ever. But again, he's trying to convince those union workers that he's standing with them. Uh, you know, how are workers, you think, thinking about candidates such as Biden coming to the, uh, you know, picket line with the auto workers and Trump going to Michigan today and trying to really rewrite, you know, his narrative, given how he behaved when he was in office as it relates to workers? You said that really well, Riva. And then just you think about the picture that's been painted the last two days. We have the current president showed up on the picket line with the UAW at their invitation and supporting their demands and saying, I see you, what you're asking for is right, you've earned it. And then on the flip side, the former president is showing up tonight at a non-union shop that was potentially organized by the National Right to Work Foundation. Um, this, <laughs> to its core, shows the, the, the opposite of who these two are in terms of whether they care about working people and specifically unions. So this is just, yeah, it's the, the juxtaposition there is it couldn't be more stark, couldn't be clearer. 
You know, I'm glad you made that distinction, Mike, because the way that the media is reporting out the story, it, it's almost like, you know, it's apples to apples comparison. Biden is going to the UAW picket line and Trump is going to meet with union workers in Michigan as well. And now you're saying, well, not so fast. These aren't necessarily even union workers. And this may be a rally organized by those folks who are anti-union. Why do you think the media is, is telling the story as if they both, you know, implicit in what they're doing is saying Trump was also invited to Michigan by those striking UAW workers. I don't know. I mean, perhaps I've, I don't want to be too mean here, but maybe moving too fast, laziness. I don't know. But to, to be able to jump on this, be like, oh, they're doing the same thing when in fact they're doing something so deeply different. I, in fact, I read a press report uh, about this crowd uh, that Trump has tonight. And it's like, like, are there actual striking auto workers there? Like they're literally like looking in the crowd and like, are there any of the striking auto workers here? No. And there maybe there's like three or four and a crowd of like 100, 200. So um, I don't know what the media was doing. They got bamboozled. Uh, and it reminds me of 2016 when they just continually got bamboozled. Uh, and it's so, and so speaking of being bamboozled, Ariva, and you mentioned this in your first question about this, Trump, when he was president, was was abysmal when it comes to unions and when it comes to labor rights and working people. His secretary of labor was an active, actual union buster lawyer yes. <laughs> uh, before he became secretary of labor. So um, to say that, like, oh, he like he's kind of pro-union. No, he's not. He's, he's horrible on these issues. Well, he, Mike, he said he's going to fire thousands of federal union workers who he says are part of the deep state if he is reelected. So he's not even making any bones about the fact that he is anti-workers and anyone that he perceives as being anti-Trump, he plans to fire if he is elected. And again, you know, do you think you and I, obviously those folks that read the paper and follow this closely, do this for a living, we get the distinction. But do you think the workers on the ground understand the distinction. I heard one of the UAW workers they interviewed uh, when Biden was out there yesterday. She said, well, she's kind of happy Biden was there, but, you know, she was a little critical. Say, like, why did it take him so long? They, I can understand rightful frustration, but, you know, being critical of Biden, while at the same time, we know that Biden's record with unions is, you know, superb. He has an outstanding record of standing with unions and not just for photo ops. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's something where we do, we also should have a little patience with the, uh, with the working people on the, on the line, on the picket line right now. Um, you know, they're in the heat of the moment. So I, I can understand that. Um, and I think it's something where also when, when they get to the voting booth in, oh, I don't know, in a year and plus, a couple months, uh, they will have that stark picture in their mind. And a lot of, a lot of them, but I mean, these are smart people. I think too often politicians sometimes write off working people as not that intelligent. That's just not true. And so these are smart people and they vote for, for many good reasons, a lot of them with their pocketbook. And so when they think about Joe Biden, he's like, oh, he actually stood up for us and he stood up for our union, he stood up for our industry. Um, and that's going to benefit uh, Joe Biden in the voting booth. Then, then again, there's other people who are working people who vote for different reasons. They vote for culture war issues or whatever. Uh, and so that'll pivot them to a guy like Trump. Um, but I think it, uh, on the whole, uh, working people are smart, especially once they get out of the heat of the moment, they will definitely see uh, that Joe Biden has been there for them and he will continue to be for them. 
One of the other issues that's come up with the UAW workers, Mike, in particular, is this notion that their request for a 40% pay raise is outrageous, uh, that they're being unreasonable. The union, uh, the uh, auto manufacturers have apparently offered them a 20% increase, but the workers say, look, the corporate execs, the, the car manufacturers, executives have gotten a 40% raise over the last four years. So why is it outrageous for the workers to be asking for a similar uh, percentage increase in wages? How do we you know, get folks to see that there's nothing greedy about the workers who are in many cases not even making living wages, particularly uh, you know, if they have kids in college, they have you know, sick relatives, sick parents, et cetera, but yet the uh, readiness to accept that it's okay for these corporate executives to make these you know, outlandish salaries in some cases. When we come forward, I want to get your take on that. Why are the union workers being called greedy when it's the corporate executives that are making multi-millions of dollars? Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. We are back, and in this hour, we're talking about Americans who are taken to the picket line. America's workers are on strike. Mike Williams, a senior fellow at Center for American Progress, is joining us. So, Mike, lots of talk about the union workers, the UAW workers in Michigan being greedy because they're asking for a 40% increase when we know that executives in the auto industry have gotten a 40% increase in their pay over the last four years. Uh, how do we make sense of this notion that somehow workers aren't entitled to big pay increases, but executives are? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, Arita, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the Wizard of Oz and that scene of right at the end, like, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, this is, you know, very much like, don't pay attention to all the billions, if not billions of dollars uh, we're raking in. So whether it's the Stellantis CEO that literally made nearly $25 million just last year, um, or the fact that since the big three were bailed out back in 2008, 2009 by the Obama administration and the UAW, uh, they've made almost a quarter of a trillion dollars in profits. Yet the average wage uh, of auto workers has effectively gone down by 19%. So this notion that like, oh, how dare, how dare they ask for so much money um, is, is ridiculous. They should be. I mean, like, it's completely fair. And to be honest with you, to show the fairness, UAW said, okay, well, you know, if we need to, to make sure that, you know, this package and the, the company stays competitive and strong, we can drop that ask down to 36% uh, ask. And the companies are still at like 20, 22% uh, of a wage increase, which would not catch them up to where they should be had they gotten just basic cost of living adjustments. And yet, like you said, the CEOs have given themselves 40% pay increases, uh, but no, not, not worth it to the workers, apparently. It's terrible. Things we're hearing, uh, Mike, is that the autos are saying, look, we are now having to make these huge investments in electric vehicles, and that is causing a strain on our cash flow. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, laying off or not able to raise, you know, wages. What do you make of that argument? I make of that argument that it's ridiculous. The Biden administration and Congress just passed a bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, and it included massive subsidies 
that goes towards consumers to buy electric vehicles. That like that is creating a massive demand for these electric vehicles. It also included multiple programs that would help the auto companies and give like, directly give them money to convert their facilities into new advanced facilities that makes electric vehicles. So yes, are they putting up money? Uh, yes. Is that a good thing? It's a great thing, and they should be commended for that. But to use as a, as an excuse not to pay the people who build the dang cars is a, is abominable. And so where do we go from here, Mike? We saw with the Writers Guild, the uh, first reaction from the corporate executives in Hollywood was to come out and, you know, call them uh, greedy to say their demands were ridiculous. And there was rumor that they were going to just wait them out. They were going to force these writers to go bankrupt, have to be evicted from their homes and apartments and, you know, get so desperate for money that they would cave. And that didn't happen. You saw, you know, not that the corporate executives gave up everything, but they did negotiate a deal that the writers feel is very, very favorable and much different. I, you know, I just interviewed Kirk Moore, who said, look, I didn't even imagine a deal this uh, positive for the writers. So what's going to take, what is it going to take in this UAW strike uh, for the corporate executives in the auto industry to come around. Yeah, I think we're already seeing that. So this past Friday, there was an update from the UAW president, Sean Fain, that they expanded the strike from three facilities to 38, but they didn't include Ford there because they already have made significant progress in winning major concessions from Ford on multiple things. They, they got rid of the two-tier payment where they were paying like people like 16 bucks an hour to start, um, and then multiple other pieces of it. They, they haven't finished yet with Ford, but they've made major progress. So I think we're already seeing this, and it does feel like it might be playing out similar to what happened with the writers and the Hollywood execs and what happened with the Teamsters and UPS execs, whereas the UPS folks are like, oh, the Teamsters are asking for ridiculous things. And then in the end, the contract turned out to be really, really good. In fact, record-breaking. And you know what What happened from that? All the uh, you know, the complaining from execs, like, oh, well, we don't know what we'll do if we have to pay this much. Now when there's an opening for a UPS driver, they're getting something like 100% more applicants because people see like, oh, that's a really good job now. I would love to apply for that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Las Vegas. Um, you know, the casinos, again, uh, the workers at the casinos unite here, which is the hospitality union. They're talking about going on strike. Are all of these strikes, you know, they're good for workers, absolutely good for workers. What impact do you think they're going to have on the presidential election? Is that going to help or hurt particularly the Democrats, not just the president, but, you know, down ticket ballots uh, as well. Well, I mean, you know, these things can have reverberations across the economy. And so who knows what happens there? But I think when working people are expressing their power and showing their power, they're going to then go into the voting booth and say, who is it who's sticking up for me? Is it the Democratic Party or is it the Republican Party? I think that answer is pretty darn clear. So I think when you know more and more people stand up for themselves, and then other people who maybe don't have a union, but they say, hey, the culinary workers, the, the casino workers, they're demanding better pay, uh, better jobs. Good for them. They deserve it. Same with the auto workers. Same with the teamsters. Same with the writers. Uh, why don't I should get that too? Maybe I should get a union in my workplace. And again, going into the voting booth and saying, who's actually on my side here? I think that benefits uh, President Biden and the Democratic Party. 
Yeah, very good point. Uh, even with the wage increases that are being given, uh, and if Ford is able to negotiate a deal with the auto workers and the others come around, are workers still, even at these rate increases, will that be enough for you know, folks to live comfortably, not you know extravagantly, but to be able to send their kids to college, to pay for healthcare bills, to pay for daycare, you know, to pay for the basic necessities and have maybe a little leftover for a vacation every now and then. Because it seems like wages, as you said, with the workers have been on a downward trend and we have gutted the middle class and it's like the have nots and the haves. So where do we go? Uh, you know, what do you think about these strikes? Are they getting the wages to where they should be? I think they're making a lot of headway there, Riva. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether it can keep up with uh, cost increases or inflation or if it can keep up with, you know, the rising cost of childcare. You mentioned that. That one's, that one's crippling for working families. Um, so there's a lot of work we need to do across the economy. But this is a massive one. Having working people show their power to organize and say, hey, we deserve better. We've earned it. Um, and help increase their wages across whole industries will do a lot of good. It will bring a lot of people up to a standard of living that they deserve and I think will make them a lot more comfortable. And what about, you know, what that wage is? If you live in a city like Los Angeles, you know, the wages, we've had wage increases. The minimum wage in the city now is over $16 an hour, but by economist standards, that that wage should be as high as $35 in order to be able to pay rent and to live in a city like LA. What's that number like in places like Michigan? Yeah, I mean, it's not as, you know, it's not as high as LA. LA is an expensive place to live, right? But it's, um, it's certainly higher than $16 an hour. That's, I mean, it's, while that is significantly better than, uh, you know, places in the deep south where the, the minimum wage is still the federal one at seven seventy five or something like that, um, it's still effectively poverty wages. Uh, people are in poverty, making sixteen bucks an hour. They're not, uh, they're not having it easy at all. The auto worker wages are in the mid thirties. They're in the mid thirties, upwards of forty. And so, by them fighting to get more of them up to that level. That means more and more of them across Michigan and Ohio and Missouri, places like that. They are truly going to have that middle class wage where they can be be comfortable. They can save for a house, get a car, pay for their kids' education, and also go on vacation. Things that every person deserves. Absolutely. And real quickly, Mike, before we run out of time, the issue of artificial intelligence, that was a big issue in the writer's strike. Does that come into play at all with the auto manufacturers? Are they using AI in a way that could replace workers? Um, not that I'm completely aware of. There is a lot of uh, automation uh, involved in auto manufacturing that's become more and more and that has uh, taken a significant amount of jobs off off assembly lines, uh, so they have lost due to automation. But in terms of artificial intelligence, um, that's more been a thing of like trying to get that technology into cars so that they can figure out how to self drive. Uh, so, but that that wouldn't necessarily be problematic right away for the, the the people making the cars and the components that go into the cars. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for your expertise and all of this great information. Uh, we are encouraged, and hopefully we will see something very positive happen with the auto workers and hopefully the Las Vegas 
uh, casino workers don't have to go out on strike. They, you know, they can reach some kind of deal before they actually have to take to the picket line. So we're going to be watching this very closely. I'm encouraged that workers are finally getting what they deserve, uh, that living wage that is so important. Again, thank you for joining us today. Uh, coming up next is Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.